0: Welcome to Tilth Talk Radio. Today we're going to be talking winter hardiness zones and what the recent changes may mean. In our spotlight, we'll take a look at Stein and Pattern Egg collaborating on corn cornworm protection. Egg History Minute, we'll talk about the history of winter hardiness zones. Cool Beans, That's Corny, we'll have some current events and we'll wrap things up with a field good Friday. With me today are Dill Schaubert. Hey guys. Todd Schaumberg.
1: Hey to all the tilties out there.
0: And I'm Matt Bruger, all with Tilth Agronomy. Well, two weeks in a row now, basically Packers controlled their own destiny, which is pretty cool.
1: Pack is back. Pack is Ooh. back. <laughs> Short rebuild. Good yeah, to go. Two months, <laughs> they went like forty days without winning. True, so. it's true. It's true. crazy
2: how like a month and a half ago I was like let's just let's see some progress, make some headway, but let's just get the best draft pick we can. And now it's like they actually have a playoff shot. Right?
1: Like, there's yes. a shot. They're the playoffs. <laughs> Talk about playoffs. It's cool just to even think there's a shot, and to see when they put that logo like in the hunt and yeah, if, if we we're, to we're make, not in the hunt anymore, no, we're like if it's playoff start of day, we'd be in the playoffs. Yeah, the playoffs. That's yeah. just wild to think that. Well, they, it, and even they showed the graphic of that Chiefs game during the game. If we lose that game, it's like a thirty-five percent chance of making the playoffs and winning it's sixty-five. 65 then after yeah. that, which is always makes me laugh because I don't think they take into account. The opponents after that and how right. good they are and stuff, but, well, but now we're going to an easier the, part of our schedule. The rest so. of the
0: schedule, we have no team with a winning record. the The closest team, Vikings, is the Vikings who are at five hundred like we are. So
1: that could be a big game against the Vikings in in Minnesota in Minnesota on New Year's, New Year's Eve Eve, New yeah. Year's Eve night too. It'll be cool. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's, it's fun. It's fun to. Yay, sports! I,
0: what? Well, <laughs> you know, it, it was interesting to me because the last time Jordan Love faced Patrick Mahomes, it was close, a lot closer yeah. than it should have been, and that was a whole different team of supporting cast, really, as far as receivers and everything else. Like, I think Devont, it would have been Devontae yet, right at that time, or not? Oh yeah, yeah. So, unfortunately, yeah, the downside is Watson may be out now for a while with his.
1: They weren't sure, so we'll He's see on that. Like, oh, yeah, my God, is, just watching yeah, him and yeah. when he, because even the announcer's like, oh, and he takes a knee and down it. I and thought then, that's what he did. Right, a race. It, it and it then they like show closer then, and he grabbed, I mean, his hamstrings like, must be yeah. like paper thin. Yeah. They're just like little tiny rubber bands hanging on there because, yeah. holy man, like, yeah, he was just normal running too. It wasn't even like right, he, he, he did some sort of, he kind of stutter stepped and then was just like, yeah. I think the stutter like, step was
0: part of it. Was like that was him like trying to slow himself.
1: Probably hurt. Probably, probably. When That's true. Once that. you're moving that fast, how do you? And it's hurt. You right. don't just fall over. Right. Kind of. He kind of did.
0: Like, do we need to, him and Aaron Jones to go through some sort of stretching exercises <laughs> to work on those hammies? Like <laughs> something. What's, what's going on?
1: Even this, if you think about when when we traded Razul Douglas, I thought that was like thrown in the towel. So down him, Jair's been hurt. Bakhtiari, know, who knows if he's still on the team anymore. And then, obviously, he is I'm just saying, like you just don't hear any news about him at all. And then Aaron Jones, if you told us those four were going to be out and we'd beat the Chiefs, I would, right. I would not believe you. So it's pretty amazing what this cast of young guys is doing. It's yeah, it's cool. been a
0: whole, totally different A.J. Dillon the last couple of weeks here. Like early on he kept running into walls, like couldn't seem to
2: get yards and he's got I, better vision now. I, was,
1: I think it's the old Lions play. getting him better, holes actually. Sure, even sure. even last night there was one point where where I thought he went over like a hundred yards in that run. I'm like, Oh, I bet you's and then they show, the announcers like, Oh, AJ Dillon up to fifty six yards and you're like, Okay, it seemed like a lot more than fifty six. I would say he's playing well. I'm not saying it's all him, but man, can you almost put anybody back there if you get holes? And they'll run through it, but
0: well, that was the interesting part of the strategy was they were just basically rotating O linemen right. in and yeah. out the whole game. I didn't even right. know they were doing that.
1: No, even for the last two or three games, they've been doing that, and I didn't. You didn't know that either. No. You know, it's like right. You don't oh. see it, but yeah. And they were just, saying how like that's not a norm. Like no, you right. didn't like your starter was your starter until he gets tired or hurt. Well, they, like, talk he's about, your
2: guy. they talk about the old lines got to be together, have communication and togetherness, and know what everybody's doing. Well. You can't do that but, when you're rotating. Every but the, other on drive. defense,
1: they're rotating guys all the time. You yeah. know, every you know, dime defense comes in. You're rotating fresh legs. So think of that. If you're an offensive lineman too, and you're you're starting to get gassed, well, now you got fresh legs when they bring in fresh legs too. So I, it's kind of an interesting deal if they can keep working like Not that. Not only
0: that, but I mean, especially with the scripted plays, I would think like, okay, this guy's better at making a hole for a run. We'll throw right. these two guys in here, right and okay, now we're going to do pass plays, like rotate out to this guy, and and even shifting, I think, too, because at one point they were talking about it, and it's like, yeah, this guy just moved over to guard, and then they brought in a new tackle, and yeah, it was just.
1: As much as we rig on them doing stupid things and being like, are these guys really professionals? Something like that. They are, to switch yeah, from a guard to a tackle, and, for, and they are professionals. It is impressive they can even do that it's amazing how underappreciated the offensive line is yeah
0: well yeah if they're doing their job you don't
2: yeah right you don't notice you don't them know at all they're they yeah. and if they're not doing their job then you, you really won't. notice yeah <laughs> it's a fun game to watch though like usually, it, usually i've been like very low-key like yep whatever happens happens but like it got to the middle of the fourth quarter last night, and I was like, I could feel my heart racing. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? And it's like, that's a close game. They're
1: got a chance to win. But the end of it was hard with the the announcers. Matt brought it up off air, and we were talking of that Terry McCauley, These like the, these the refs, the refs in New yeah. York that are just and oh, they just they almost make you feel bad about no calls or whatever. It's like we. You, the refs made, if you watch the whole game, there was a couple calls in our way that weren't right and a couple calls their way, and they evened out at the end. But it right. was frustrating because... And it, that's really all the not, way it's it's always been. Yes. It's
0: like it's getting kind of evened itself out, but now we just call more attention to some of this crap by having these ex so-called experts, the ex-refs, that yeah. get paid to sit there and talk about Well, they're the
1: worst because they always just go to bat for their own guys, it seems, or like... You know, I wouldn't have made that call. Well, why don't you do ref then still? Yeah, right.
2: then go make the call. Did yeah. you watch the Eagles uh, 49er game at all?
1: I just seen it as a blowout. Because um, the Niners just rocked
2: them. Because uh, Hertz had the same thing where he got jacked at the sidelines. They didn't call it.
1: But Mahomes, they'll yeah. call. He's Mahomes, yeah.
2: Right. Yeah. And it was same exact, like, right at the edge. You know, right there. Like, could have went either way. Well, that's
1: they were saying on this with the first down marker there, there's been an easy no call because... He's trying to get the first down, and you can see that. they right. they got to give themselves out and go straight, you know, sure. laterally out of bounds. Sure. they got to do that, and he didn't. He so did nope. I just nope. I, it'd be hard to be a defender like that because you're just trying to hit guys and then all of a sudden hold up or not. And you just, yeah. It was, it was, a, it was a fun game, though. Yes, a lot of fun. Go, Pat, go.
0: <laughs> all right, you guys ready to get into our topic for today? Mm-hmm. All right, so maybe you noticed, maybe you didn't, but Wisconsin in and the whole country really had a uh, change in the winter hardiness zone. So what is a winter hardiness zone? Well, it's... It's hard to say. It's what your are you, It determines what plants you should try to grow, whether you're a gardener, farmer, even trees, um, depend on your given zone that you're in, so as you would expect, the further north you are, the less options you tend to have for plants to grow, and uh, they would have to be more hardy. Like, we couldn't grow sugarcane in Wisconsin reliably because it's a warm, tropical-type plant, and you wouldn't take that up into the UP or northern Wisconsin and expect it to grow in this, this climate. So they, they kind of help you make that determining call for what kind of plants you should put out, what your range of growing season is going to look like. And so the last time it was, or prior to this change, they were using 1976 to 2005 uh, data to determine the zones. And the more recent update that they released uh, last month is using 1991 to 2020 Temperature data, and so that shift in the data they're using. So I think it was when uh, we had our meteorologist friend on. He mentioned that you know weather data they use these models that are based on thirty-year chunks of, of data, while well, we changed thirty-year chunks, and that's the biggest driver behind some of these changes. So, what does that mean for you, the average person? Probably not a lot. Um, There were some changes uh, mostly in the northwest part of the state. So before we had 3B, 4A, 4B, 5A, 5B as the zones, which means nothing to the people listening. But if you look it up, it's basically your your temperature zones. So how cold does it get? Usually your temperatures are, so 5B is negative 15 and negative 10 whereas 3B is negative 35 to negative 30. And that 3B basically got eliminated from the state as of the most recent changes. There's a little itty-bitty part kind of way up in the northwest, uh, southern edge of Douglas County, northern edge of Burnett-Washburn, maybe like a little patch south of Hayward. Otherwise, that's completely gone. Out of County, where we live, got split into two zones, so 5A and 5B, so different low and difference of 5 degrees. Um, And then a new range came into the state, so 6A, which is mainly along the Milwaukee-Kenosha Lakeshore. So Extension put out a publication. There were some news articles um, for a lot of this stuff. And basically, excuse me, the changes have to do with hardiness and dormancy. Well, what does that have to do with agriculture? Like we were talking before uh, we started the podcast here, alfalfa would probably be the most common one that comes to mind as far as fall dormancy ratings. That Maybe it could, you could see a change there. Um, trees are probably the next biggest change that you would see, what can survive as far as trees that you can plant. Um, So it's, I thought it was interesting. It's just not as, once I got into it, it wasn't as exciting as I thought. Like, oh, I thought we could grow some whole new class of plants here in the state. Because it It changed slightly. It just changed slightly, yeah.
2: One one thing we might, excuse me, one thing we might see if we haven't already is potentially insurance. uh, Fall planted crops like wheat. Yep. Maybe our insurance dates change a little bit based on some of these ratings because... Obviously, if it's getting warmer, the more north you go, um, your plant last planting insurable date it might change as well. So maybe as we get in those northern counties, that'll get pushed back in the fall a little bit more so that we could be planting winter wheat later and still get insurance coverage. So maybe look for that too in the, in the future if it hasn't been already.
0: And I think that kind of... Kind of ties into so the extension publication, I think it was, or one of the articles I looked up had the first and last frost charts. And so um, the first fall killing frost, at least for our area, kind of matches up pretty well how the county's divided. So the southeast corner of Oregon County is October 4th to the 10th for first killing frost, the northwest Chunk of Aragami County is in the September 27th to October 3rd kind of range, so that kind of lines up with how we're split in our hardiness zone. The southeast corner is that little bit warmer zone compared to northwest part of our county. Um, <clears throat> and I would say even this year, the real killing frost were even later. I don't think we had a a killing frost before the 10th of October this year.
1: It was later. So yeah. like you say, that can change on um, a lot of things. Right, next when year that, could be really That early date's too. tricky because it could be two weeks earlier, two weeks later than that. So it's a it's a trickier thing, but that's interesting to note.
0: Yeah, and then the last spring frost, um, not quite the same split, but there still is a kind of a south-north split in Outagamie County. So the northern part, May 10th through the 16th, is the p- last potential for spring killing frost for the most part, and May third to the ninth for the south part. Of course, we all remember about two years ago when we had a f- snowfall fro- or a frosting event almost to f- wasn't Father's Day, but it was real late in May. So, like you said, Todd, it- those things can change year to year, but that's kind of the average range as far as things go. So. Um, I think we've seen it in plants, um, a lot of cover crop plants, especially the things that aren't supposed to overwinter in Wisconsin have the last few years, especially. Um,
1: that's a good point, Matt, is some of our, we're trying to talk on the crop side. What does this change? And in a way, probably doesn't change anything. However, it may fall dormancy ratings in alfalfa, your winter wheat planting, can change and then it really has a lot to do with cover crops too is we may see certain things that you think are going to die over the winter and you don't need herbicide you may still want the roundup there to kill them in spring or terminate or decide how to manage that because it may not die the other part is rye later in fall and rye in general should be winter hardy enough that you kind of plant it whenever and it's going to you know, potentially just germinate and be okay. So it kind of makes it that that's a very good choice then. So it, I think as far as cropping goes, it, it's a good good thing to, to sort of know. And what's hard is with these changes, they're going to be so slight and so small and take such amount of time that in your farming career, it really won't matter except when you first start to when you end, maybe that it's slightly different. Otherwise, you're not going to see any of these changes.
0: Yeah. The other thing that that would potentially be on the negative side is if it's not getting as cold on the low end, the pests that we that normally don't overwinter here, there's potentially years when we could see higher numbers of those because they're not getting killed off by the cold weather at night. And the
2: pests that do overwinter, the populations could be higher because right. a portion doesn't get taken out by the by the frost and the cold weather, right? We could just see higher levels in general.
0: Yep. And I think we have probably seen that in years where we've had higher pest levels. And like Todd said, it's not going to be this life-changing thing necessarily, but we may see that as a continuing trend. Moving forward is just things that are slightly not what we're used to or not what our um, you know parents' generation were used to, um, but not, again, in any a major life-changing way. Just little, little things for notice and to plan for as we keep moving forward with um, future plantings and stuff like that.
1: Some of these weather things have been interesting. Last week, there was the UW Badgers Crops and Soils update meetings, which typically are very specific, having sort of your UW Extension guys talking very specific agronomy stuff, very specific soil stuff, and the keynote at that was a... Like senior hydraulic services, hydraulic, like a NOAA or NWS person. So they're talking about weather and kind of understanding the weather trends and how it affects agriculture. And it's interesting, yet at the same time, I think they were struggling to find where it does cross and make any changes for like the actual implications are tricky. One of the biggest things that um, Sarah Markhart was the name of the speaker, and she had said was kind of the take home that I heard was. our our higher temperatures aren't necessarily going up. I mean, they may be trending that they're going up, but it's more the low temperature is increasing by more. So to these hardiness ratings, that would make a lot of sense then why. That's what changed these hardiness ratings is because our sort of cold colds aren't maybe as cold or they're not as long in duration of that cold. So when you look to even into detail, this information, it said half of the United States... Was affected and the other half was basically the same, so it wasn't also like everywhere in the United States they changed hardiness zones at all. And like I said, if it did change, it was like by a half a zone. So the example is from a 5A changed to a 5, no, for excuse me, from a 5B would have changed to a 5A,
0: yeah. And so, I would say for the state of Wisconsin, it was mostly the same, too. Like I said, um, out of was split where it wasn't before, but. Before the split was to the north of us, it was kind of right, you know, Wapaka would have been more split, whereas now Wapaka is kind of all in the same zone. So it's really, yeah, just slight geographic changes. The biggest thing was the elimination of that really cold zone for the most part in northern Wisconsin That was, and the new addition in the southeast. Those were probably the biggest changes that we would see here in our state, but other states probably didn't see as much... Um, and yeah, I mean it's it's kind of an interesting thing to think about. I, for reference, the that I had as far as ever using hardiness zones in my lifetime was when uh, you and I grew hops. Todd, remember? Oh that? yeah, and I Kay. looked up varieties that were like common in this area or would survive in this area, and it um, it specifically like mentioned that what hardiness zone it was in, and it's like, oh yeah, we're
2: Easy. Whatever
1: hops you picked, I feel like could have grown way north. Those things... Yeah, I think it was like Manitoba, Canada. Yeah, far okay. Because, yeah. yeah, they Did were... Did you just pick the most hardy, man? They were very hardy. It was very hardy, yeah. They were they were beast. Even, like, you'd, I'd mowed them down a couple years, and they didn't, they'd still come back. Like, they were just that hardy. One thing I like about these hardiness zones is I feel... And one thing to think about, this has more to do with cold temperatures and winter survival. It doesn't have to do with growing season. So it's kind of fun to, like, for me, I always thought the UK had similar weather to us or like some places in Europe. And when you look at the hardiness zone map of sort of Central Europe, and as you get into sort of Eastern Europe, I guess I'd call it, but really the UK is more like the Washington state area of the United States when it comes to winter hardiness, which, and that makes sense when, when they talk about the UK and France and Spain, it's because all the, the water surrounding them mm-hmm. makes it more temperate, yeah. which would be the same as like, I don't, I don't know this area well, but I'm thinking like Yakima, Washington or the, some of the valleys in that area. So it has, it's more like that. And we're actually closer really to like Ukraine. Right. Which makes sense. Cause it's,
0: they're more inland, more right, more known for agriculture, and yeah, they're in like a five in their winter hardiness zone, which is kind of where we're sitting at in ours. So, and,
1: and even like Germany is quite quite similar. Maybe they're more like southern Wisconsin than they are northern. But even look at it, like where a lot of people immigrated to, say Wisconsin and Minnesota. When you look at this winter hardiness map, it's Kind of, Somehow they found the exact right, same right, climate. They're like, Close okay, over, I can yeah. tolerate this cold, and that's all right. But any colder, like, F that, I'm staying here. So they, it seems like they, um, it makes sense. But, yeah, I, like I said, I always kind of, when you, like, uh, there's a NACC consultant from the U.K., Patrick is that's his right. name. Whenever we talk about wheat with him, I always thought, like, oh, our winter wheat would be the same as his, and they're growing, like, 150 bushels of wheat, like, we could do that. and Maybe though it has more to do with that they don't have as much winter kill or any winter problems. And it probably grows better the, because yeah, it's right. not as cold, cold in the, the fall. Yeah, so so maybe I do got to kind of change how I'm thinking there. And Slow
2: your roll, Todd. Yeah,
1: we're closer to even like Helsinki and some of those areas, like more the northern, not northern, but middle part of Sweden, sort of into Norway. Like Oslo is similar to us, so it's yep. odd to think that. Some of those areas that you think are way north um, are are different in that like i said as it's, it's not that they don't have similar temperatures as the winter is different because they've got water surrounding them
0: yeah we we talk about lake effect here in Wisconsin, but they have ocean effect around because they pretty most of Europe is really surrounded by by water until you get deep inland so. All right. So there you go there. If, if you heard about it on the news, whether or not um, you thought it was important, there's kind of a quick rundown of what winter Nose no, hardiness zones are and, and what they mean for us, which is really not a whole lot of life-changing things, but just a few things you might notice moving forward. So now we'll move into our spotlight for today. All right. So today we're looking at corn rootworm, specifically a partnership between Stein Seed and Pattern Ag to look at corn rootworm protection. So they've announced a strategic partnership to produce an innovative solution for corn rootworm threats. The Stein Prescriptive Pathogen Report will leverage Pattern Ag's testing capabilities for a reliable prediction of rootworm field pressure and economic risks. Through measuring DNA in the soil, the test can detect the presence and abundance of corn rootworm organisms with 90% accuracy. So that's pretty good, I would say, 90%. 60% of the time, it works every time. Okay. Uh, 90
1: from a test perspective is about as yeah. 9 out of 10 times. I mean, that's yeah, as about that's as accurate as you can ask for in most tests. So that's pretty cool.
0: Yep, so Steinseed Seed will be offering the prescriptive pathogen report to corn loyalty-level customers at a special discounted price. Partnership will allow Steinseed Seed to have more insightful conversations about crop protection, resulting in better management for yield and quality. So yeah, the hope is that as they work with their uh, growers and partners that they will be able to better stave off issues with cornworm damage. So
1: This stuff is wild to think of when we do soil sampling in general we're doing chemistry analysis and i know in past episodes we talked about it but man are we just on the cusp of the frontier of biological analysis and now this where they're using dna to to analyze things and to, to get that specific like you wouldn't think you know obviously there's just a if you're just getting dna of the soil it'll just be like this puddle of dna of all kinds of random stuff and then they're you know, segmenting, okay, this is actually corn rootworm or eggs of corn rootworm, and this yep. is how much DNA is in there, so it must be over this threshold. And it's it's even it's di- exciting of how close we are to, to taking more of these samples to tell us a lot of things to take out. Like, not that we'd replace scouting, it's just going to change how we scout. So that's really exciting.
0: Yeah, even diseases are part of that profile as far as, like, they can test and pick up on soil-borne disease um dna also so. even
1: look like our wisconsin lab Pesperos, they do a bunch of for nematode type of tests soybean cyst and other corn nematodes and even that they've been testing that stuff for potatoes and other vegetable vegetable crops for a long time but now as we're getting into other crops with it, it's really exciting so yeah good yeah good find here man it's exciting
0: all right now we'll move into our egg history minute So to tie in with our topic from today, we'll talk about how they developed winter hardiness zones. So the first attempts to create a geographical hardiness zone system were undertaken by two researchers at the Arnold Arboretum in Boston. The first was published in 1927 by Alfred Reeder, and the second by Donald Wyman in 1938. The Arnold map was subsequently updated in 1951, 1967, and finally in 1971, but eventually fell out of use completely. The modern USDA system began at the U.S. National Arboretum in Washington. The first map was issued in 1960 and revised in 1965. It used uniform 10-degree Fahrenheit ranges and gradually became widespread among American gardeners. USDA map was revised and, reiss- uh, revised and reissued in 1990, with freshly available climate data, this time with five-degree distinctions, dividing each zone into a new A and B subdivision. In uh, 2006, the Arbor Day Foundation released an update of the U.S. hardiness zones using mostly the same data. Um, It revised hardiness zones reflecting generally warmer recent temperatures in many parts of the country and appeared similar to uh, previous drafts. In 2012, USDA updated their plant hardiness map based on the 1976 through 2005 weather data, which was the most recent up until this year, using a longer period of data to smooth out year-to-year weather fluctuations. Two new zones, 12 and 13, were added to better define and improve information sharing on tropical and semi-tropical plants. They also appear on maps of Hawaii and Puerto Rico. There is a very small spot east of San Juan, Puerto Rico that includes uh, the airport in Coastal Carolina, where the mean minimum is sixty-five degrees or sixty-seven degrees Fahrenheit, is classified as Hardiness Zone thirteen B, the highest category, uh, where with temperatures rarely dropping below that. In two thousand fifteen, the Arbor Day Foundation revised yet another map. Uh, theirs without the A and B subdivisions, showing many areas having zones even warmer, uh, which kind of follows through to the November twenty twenty three release, where USDA released. Their updated version, based on the 1991 to 2020 weather data across the U.S., map continues to show northward movement of hardiness zones, reflecting a continued warming trend in the U.S. climate from 1991
1: to 2020. So there you go. Great, Matt. Sounds good. It's good to hear the history of that because you don't think of how far... Back would go to basically in harvard where they started it so very cool if you like what you're listening to, hopefully you do please tell a farmer friend out there all they need to do is subscribe to the podcast you search tilt talk radio on apple podcast or on android we like the apps google Podcasts or podcast attic you can also listen on your smartphone or browser go to tilt slash podcast and you can follow us on facebook and x at tilt talk radio
0: all right Now we'll do our Cool Beans, that's corny, and get some current events. So Cool Beans. Cool Beans. Cool Beans. Cool Beans. Our Cool Beans this week. A farmer was shocked after his lost iPhone circled the globe and found its way back to him. So in fall of 2013, as combines rolled across uh, grain sorghum fields in Grady County, Oklahoma, Kevin Whitney was on the receiving end of a steady crop loads as manager of the Apache Farms Co-op in Chickasaw, roughly 40 minutes southwest of Oklahoma City. Bathed in dust and October sunshine under the tower of a 220,000-bushel concrete elevator, Whitney crouched beside a trailer and tugged at a stubborn hopper door as fresh grain poured from the 10-foot-5 wide grate, spilling over four-inch gaps. As he worked on the hopper, his iPhone 5 was wedged a slick black plastic case inside his unclasped breast pocket, he bent down, and whoop, there goes the phone. You watched as it dropped into the grain flow and rocketed between the great, great bars into the pit below. No lunging or flailing or scrambling. It was done. Game over. <laughs> Just Don't even up. try. Yeah.
1: Yep. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so once it left the concrete elevator at Apache Farms Co-op, the stowaway iPhone 5 was loaded into a grain trailer and trucked to a northeast Oklahoma fidi- uh, facility in Enola, which is on the Arkansas River Navigation System. Once there, it kept moving through the supply chain till it got to the Panama Canal inside the belly of a bulk vessel. It was tucked into a 2 million bushel load of grain, sorghum, destined for a feed mill in Japan. It left Louisiana, entered the Gulf of Mexico, through the Caribbean and into the canal, and then chugged across the Pacific Ocean and found its way into a feed mill in Fukushima, Japan. During the screening process, the iPhone was spotted by a vigilant and caring mill worker. Ooh, caring. Yeah. Well, obviously, they've tried to return the phone, otherwise we wouldn't have this story. So, in July 2014, nine months after the incident, turned his cell phone into a globetrotter he was rocked on his heels by a surreal phone call from convent louisiana asking hey did you lose an iphone (laughs) i said yeah almost a year ago well i've got your phone what do you want me to do with it (laughs) so the
1: that point yeah you definitely have a new one already what's what's uh,
0: left of that phone well you got it mailed back to him uh from the guy in louisiana and so it arrived in superb condition. So apparently it was undamaged. Wow!
1: It was preserved like when you get your phone wet, you put it in rice to kind of oh right, right. Yeah, just be in there like a, as long as it doesn't get crushed.
0: So yeah, kind of a cool story that even though he dropped it in, I mean, most farm accidents involving phones usually don't end well for the phone. So manure pits, yep, augers, uh, yeah, mixers, yep. Yeah, tons we've of-
1: about that t- has probably fifteen years ago when we were scouting and um, our brother Nick found a phone scouting the field and brought it home, charged it, and called just the first. You know, it's hard because what do you do? You, you just have this phone doesn't say who's. You know, you don't got to call just, the, in case of so he just started call, like and he didn't he, he called it said mom on it so he called <laughs> this guy's mom. And like, oh, your son lost a phone. And she's like, I don't know. And here's his number, you know, call him. And he's like, Oh, I lost. He, that phone he had dropped in a manure tanker, and then they <laughs> hauled the manure out on that field like two years before. And it before still that. turned on. Still turned on, yeah. Wow. He'd he charge it, obviously. But like, Yeah, but it, but it wasn't didn't, fried. It wasn't pretty. It was kind of fried. And at that point, too, the guy's like, I got a new phone. I don't really want that phone, you know, yeah. it was like, Okay. okay. Um, so it's interesting. This, that part of it too, when you in pictures, and now you got all your pictures. But a lot of that's backed up too, so you're a little bit better. But
0: yeah, when I was in college, with my roommates found a phone in a puddle outside on a rainy day, and we dried it out and did the same thing. But this one, the screen was cracked, so we just like managed to actually get it to call someone, and the person actually came and got it. But that was an old flip phone. So yep. Yeah, it was before before you had all your life tucked
1: into right the, into in your the phone. phone.
2: And this was an iPhone five. What are we up to? iPhone fifteen now or something? I think fifteen. Yeah, it does word.
1: say the iPhone five retailed for like three hundred bucks at the time, so it might have been. Yeah. But now with phones, are a thousand eight hundred to a thousand bucks for a phone, and they get you you know over three years of payments. So, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: All, right. All right. That's corny this week. Nearly three quarters of Louisiana is facing a D four exceptional drought. So cattle producers say some land has deep cracks that can break ankles, and water troughs have been put out where they've never been needed before. So it looks like predominantly the uh, southern three-quarters of Louisiana is the area affected. There's a little stripe of only D3 drought in the middle of it, but uh, yeah, so the... Exceptional drought conditions are impacting most of the state. Cattle producers say um, they're having trouble keeping up with watering. It's been a tremendous impact throughout the year, and uh, not only is the herd affected, but the economic strain of the drought. They're able, only able to grow and harvest 25% of the hay. One particular farmer said that he normally produces to feed his herd through the winter, uh, so obviously they'll have to buy some some feed at some point. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's, you know, we we talked all year about kind of the drier conditions we were seeing, but I don't think too many parts of our state got that bad to the point where, you know, crops were unharvestable or even hard to grow,
2: so. If you look at the drought monitor, this is the driest part of the country. Like, none, no other part of the country rivals what Louisiana is going through right now. In the bulk of the, like, three-quarters of the state. it says here the pasture conditions were rated
0: 14% poor, or very poor, 44% poor, 32% fair, and only 10% good, Hmm. as in the last USA crop report for that part, for Louisiana. So, yeah, not great for those cattle producers, so... All right, we'll wrap things up here then with a field good Friday. So the Farm Bureau Conference has been happening lately and Wisconsin Farm Bureau recognized four influential members during their 104th annual conference on Sunday. So Nate Zimdars of Dane County was the uh, selected the winner of the 2023 20, Wisconsin Farm Bureau Young Farmer and Agriculturist Discussion Meet. A uh, discussion meet is a panel discussion in which Farm Bureau members between the ages of 18 and 35 are judged on their ability to express their ideas and opinions and reach a solution on current issues affecting agriculture. He will represent Wisconsin during the American Farm Bureau Annual Convention in January. Another person that was recognized was Ethan Joukowsky, who selected the winner of the Collegiate Discussion Meet And he is a sophomore at UW-Madison pursuing a degree in biochem and public policy. So that's another discussion panel in which collegiate members are judged on their ability to lead a committee discussion on current issues affecting agriculture and to develop consensus on an action plan to address the issues. Sydney Flick was selected as the winner of the Wisconsin Farm Bureau's Young Farmer and Agriculturist Farming for the Future Award. Flick is the farm manager at her family's farm Jazzy Jerseys in Lodi, Wisconsin. She manages the cows, team members, and accounting for the 800-Cow Dairy. Recently, the farm added a farm store and will begin selling retail beef, both of which she currently manages. And finally, we have Caitlin Riley Kessler, who was selected as the winner of the Outstanding Agriculture Professional Award. Kessler is the Director of Communications and Outreach for the Wisconsin Beef Council she served as the 48th Wisconsin Fairs to the Fairs and the 71st Alice in Dairyland. In 2022, Kessler received the Wisconsin Farm Bureau Federation 35 and under or 35 under 35 award for sustainable storytelling because of her work with the Wisconsin Beef Council and is currently participating in the Wisconsin Farm Bureau Leadership Institute. So, congratulations to all these folks and their achievements. It's kind of cool.
1: These are always good. Yeah, good to highlight good people.
0: All right. Well, that'll do it for this week. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us, Matt. So this week we talked winter hardiness zones, what they are, and what's changed recently with the new adoption of new zones. In our spotlight, we talked about Stein and Pattern Egg collaborating for corn worm protection. Egg history minute. We talked about how winter hardiness zones came to be. Our cool beans this week was a farmer was shocked after his iPhone made it back from a globe hopping trip. That's corny is Louisiana facing very severe drought conditioning and through most of the state. And our Field Good Friday was four people recognized for excellence at the Wisconsin Farm Bureau Conference. Thanks for listening, and as always, happy farming.